Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie. And we have a very special episode of Star Wars Action News this week for Star Wars Reads Day coming up this Saturday. And we are going to be in the Minneapolis area celebrating Star Wars Reads Day at Barnes & Noble where Troy Denning, Daniel Wallace, and John Jackson Miller, all great Star Wars authors, are going to be in attendance signing autographs. I... No, there's going to be a lot of Star Wars fans, some costumers, and we'd love it if you come out and join us. We're going to be at the Barnes & Noble, which is in Roseville, Minnesota, which is right suburb of Minneapolis, and it's, the event starts at 2. We're also going to be that day at FallCon, probably in the morning. It starts at 10 a.m., and that's at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds in the Education Building. So we will be going to the convention and then to the Star Wars Reads Day. But always good to get a little con shopping in. Mm-hmm. But what better way for Star Wars Reads Day than to look at The Essential Reader's Companion, a new essential guide from Del Rey Books, written by Pablo Hidalgo. And that interview is coming up shortly. Then after that, Barrett and his significant other, Carmilla, will be coming to discuss Star Wars Vinylmations. But first, a couple bits of news. I had that buy one, get one 75% off coupon at Toys R Us, and I went there every day looking for speeder bikes. Every day you did, I know. They restocked. They got more Ewok sets in, which sold pretty quickly. The other pilots are just kind of sitting around. They got another case of vintage in with the lost line cars, but no speeder bikes. Finally on Friday, I'd hoped this would happen, and it did. ToysRUs.com got the speeder bikes in, and they were honoring Toys R Us's buy one, get one half off sale. So I was able to order two of those, sent out a new release newsletter, If you're subscribed to that at the SWActionNews.com homepage, post it to Facebook and Twitter. I know a lot of people who, like me, haven't been able to get those bikes. We're really happy to get them now. Yeah, distribution seems to be spotty just amongst Toys R Us's. I don't think it's spotty. I think they're being bought. This is a hot item at a good price. 20 bucks for such a cool thing. I don't think ours even has a tag, though. There's a shelf space. There's not a tag, but there's a space that's about right-sized. I think they're just flying off the shelves. Really? Yeah. Okay. Also, some other things you might have had trouble getting. Think Geek has gotten in some Celebration 6 exclusives that didn't sell out, some of which I wish I hadn't bought and could have just had mailed home like that hobby horse. Yeah, I will say that is the one that caused me to almost have a nervous breakdown in the post office because our box came in at one inch under the maximum size the post office would mail. That was, yeah. And the Gamorrean Guard piggy bank, we were really worried about it surviving the trip. That's up now. The Admiral Akbar talking plush that I thought really might sell out just because Akbar has this undercurrent of crazy fans who love to hear him say it's a trap. Including our own Ginger Prince, who loves Admiral Akbar. I really thought this was going to be a hot seller, too, and that he'd fly off the shelves, which, judging by as many times I went by, the shelves were empty and, like, partially empty. They did have to stock him quite often, but clearly they've made enough. The only one of the exclusives they have up there that we didn't buy and that we didn't love is the Darth Vader and Stormtrooper salt and pepper shakers, which at 20 bucks, meh. Sweetie, you bought those. Oh, I did? I told you I was buying them. I put them in. They're actually in the box still. Okay, so you bought them. I passed. I told you I was buying them, though. Okay, but I forgot. 
Yeah, it's okay. Well, you can get those right now at thinkgeek.com. And now, as promised, here is the interview with Pablo Hidalgo. And we are here with Pablo Hidalgo, author of Star Wars, The Essential Reader's Companion, and Brand Communication Manager at Lucasfilm. Hello, sir. Hello there. Now, for our listeners who may not have seen you at conventions or be familiar with your previous works, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and your history with Lucasfilm? Sure. Uh, I've been with Lucasfilm for about 12 years now. I started off in their internet group as one of the writers and content managers for StarWars.com. I came aboard as a writer, but also as someone who was very knowledgeable about Star Wars, both as the fictional universe, but also as a history of the brand, uh, the way the movies were made, where it's been as a collectible, where it's been as a licensed product, that kind of stuff. So gradually over the last dozen years or so, I've kind of moved away from the online group and have kind of been one of the go-to guys here when it comes to the Star Wars information. If it's ever needed in the company, um, I kind of describe my job as synthesizing as much Star Wars information as possible and making it available and presentable to the people within the company who might have need of it. As an offshoot of what it is I do, I ended up writing books for uh, various of our publishers, the latest being uh, The Essential Reader's Companion. And you mentioned that you were already kind of an expert in Star Wars. Can can you tell us about your early Star Wars fandom? Well, Star Wars came out when I was like three years old, so there's not much period of time where I didn't know Star Wars. You know, if you were part of the original Star Wars generation growing up, it basically surrounded you. You couldn't escape it. Even if a kid hadn't seen it, he had absorbed it already because all the kids around him were talking about it, bringing their toys and comic books and what have you to school. So it was just something that you grew up with. So I was a first-generation fan, and then even when Star Wars kind of went on the quiet period of the mid to late 80s, I was still kind of into it, and especially my interest was really piqued when a licensee by the name of West End Games started producing a Star Wars role-playing game. And I got involved in that, and it became, I don't know, I thought it was really fascinating to study all the work that had gone into those products. So I just that was one of the things that I started absorbing, and I started kind of researching Star Wars as much as possible. And that eventually led, actually, to me freelancing for the company, and that began my uh, professional involvement with Star Wars in the early 90s, where I would be writing for the game that kind of got me rehooked into the experience, as it were. And how has becoming an official part of the Star Wars brand as an author working on the games and working for Lucasfilm changed your fandom? I don't know if it's changed it exactly. I mean, I think it just makes it even more permanent. It's always part of my day-to-day life. You can't take a break from it, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, sometimes, like, if I want a vacation, if a Star Wars fan is taking a vacation, they'll often take Star Wars with them on vacation, and that's the only side effect, because sometimes when I want a vacation, that means actually unplugging from Star Wars so it doesn't feel like I'm doing work. But, you know, this is coming from a place of fandom, a place from passion, so, of course, I'll I'll still be, you know, no matter where I am in the world, I'll probably still be scoping out for a Star Wars connection. All right, now let's get to the big topic, which is Star Wars, the essential reader's companion and when describing your job you talked about synthesizing a lot of star wars information and making it presentable and that's kind of this book in a nutshell but how did you come up with the concept for a reader's companion well, the concept actually predated my involvement. There was something existing internally here at Lucasfilm and the publishing division on their forward-looking calendars, like books to do in the future. And there was this placeholder book that was just called The Guide to Fiction. And that's probably as deeply as anyone really thought what it could be. It was just going to be some sort of guide for new readers, for experienced readers, for readers of any level, just to get a better handle on the entire sprawling you know, universe that is uh, Star Wars publishing. And so that much was known. I kind of expressed some sort of interest in it to uh, internally to the directors of publishing here. And then I had completed the complete Star Wars Encyclopedia with Del Rey. So I think between expressing my interest and actually working on that book, it made the, the editors at Del Rey interested in me as a, as a potential author for this book. And, and they approached me in the beginning of 2010 to see if I was interested. And I definitely was. And um, in terms of what the book was going to be, a lot of it just became evident of what kind of content would be required to, to make it as satisfying as a book as possible. We tried to be as inclusive as possible. And early on, you know, it's like if it was going to be the guide to fiction, we were going to try to make it, you know, cover everything. And early on, we discovered, well, it can't be everything. So uh, we focused primarily on the prose fiction, and that kind of informed us as far as what kind of information should be in it and how that information should be presented. Now, you say at the beginning of 2010, and there's so much content in this book, it seems like a lot to process in a very short time, because unlike a lot of books where it's fictional or where you can look up specific things, here you've summarized 
over a hundred books plus another number of young adult books. And even though you don't focus on games and comics, there's a lot of asides of that. So can you tell us about the process of researching and writing this book? Because I imagine it was quite a bit different than most. Sure. Um, one of the things I, I like to say is that this book has kind of been 30 years in the making because I don't think anyone who hasn't been a, a lifelong Star Wars fan could have dove into it as quickly as as, uh, as was required by the production schedule. Um, so you know, it wasn't there was no there was no lull in terms of getting up to speed on the subject. I, I had been reading Star Wars books uh, since there's been Star Wars books. So with that grounding, um, the first step was I had decided that I'm going to try to read everything in chronological order, going back to um, any chronological universe order, going to what was the earliest book in the timeline, and trying to go forward from that point um, on. You know, the, the first step was basically taking the, the library of Star Wars books, putting it in that order, and then that would be the order that I would try to read things in. Uh, for the most part, that, that worked. There were a couple of exceptions. If, if new product was coming out concurrent with uh, in those, that two-year period, and you know, we published a lot of books, so there were a lot of books coming up in that period, I tried to read those as they were made available, so I wouldn't have to be cramming those in at the end or, or waiting for them to uh, waiting to reach um, where they were in the timeline. The other thing is when I had reached material from, especially from the early 90s um, and, and early 2000s, it, you know, I had kind of been doing this groundwork years ago, back when those books were out. So while I kind of, uh, I did do a quick read or, or skim through of those books, but I essentially done the homework, the writing required for those entries back when those books were coming out. So in some cases, there are passages in this guide that are like more than 15 years old because I had written it for my own personal internal, you know, uh, chronicling as a fan who likes to chronicle these things. Uh, I'd kind of done that groundwork way back when. When you were reading new books for this essential guide, did you find yourself reading in a different way or because, like you said, you've kind of been journaling them all along, was it the same process for you? Well, the main thing I did was try to keep accurate notes per chapter so that I could keep in mind what, as to you know how the story uh, how, how the story progressed. And then the the object was, and this is, this was a challenge. The object was to take a novel and then try to synthesize a summary that would be about five hundred to a thousand words long. And in some cases, that was that was easier than others. Some books have very convoluted plots where, you know, it would be a disservice to skim over those twists and turns. So some books, like uh, uh, the Darth Plagueis book, for is a perfect example, you could not fit that book successfully into a thousand-word summary. So the kind of high beats that I wanted to make sure that I touched upon, I, I kept notes of to make sure that uh, I didn't forget to, to leave those points in. Um, I think we've all had the experience of trying to read a summary that feels, it doesn't feel like a summary. You know, we're trying to read a summary that goes on and on and on. It's like, how, how is this saving me any time? Even though, I mean, it will be saving you time, but it still feels like too much work. So I try to keep that cognizance of, of am I getting down to the, the real nitty-gritty of the book? And those notes generally, even though they were scribbles or, or not fully formed sentences, those notes kept me uh, focusing on what were the key points to, uh, to bring up in a summary. In those summaries... I was wondering how difficult it was to find the right balance between the plot of the book and the character arcs in the book that influence then future stories and finding just the right amount of balance between them, as some books do seem to be heavily in order to set up future events and other books, especially, again, the standalones from the early to mid-90s, were far less character-driven and far more plot-driven. I would say that in general, we the, those summaries tend to favor plot more than than character moments or or, or that sort of character coloring and co character shading. Just because uh, I didn't want these summaries to be a substitute for that kind of information, especially um, especially for some of the books that really, really that that becomes the backbone of the book. The, the perfect example I'm thinking of is Traitor uh, by Matthew Stover, where that book. You know, it has, a, it has a degree of plot. Certain things definitely do happen, but so much of it is not only subtext, but also just like a lot of the, the philosophy that underpins what's happening to the character. I wanted to make mention that that was in there, but you can't really. It's so hard to do that justice in a, in a short summary. So, uh, 
Um, so as a whole, I would say that the summaries do favor plot more than the sort of more ephemeral uh, qualities of uh, characterization and, and more and uh, the, the personal impact on the characters that happen in the in the books. What's what's interesting is uh, in the introduction to the book, I, I kind of make a point that I don't want these summaries to replace uh, the experience of having read the book in the first point. What what I would consider a success is if uh, there's a new reader who gets a taste of what the book is through a summary and then decides and that's I want to experience that firsthand as a reader. Also, when dealing with some of these arc stories, I was kind of surprised you'd summarize things like the Jedi Academy trilogy or the Thrawn trilogy as a single unit, a single summary, rather than novel by novel. And then when we get into the larger arcs like New Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force, those are book by book. What led to that choice? That was a mix of, of realities of space. Um, whenever possible, uh, my, my editor and I looked at it to see what can we do to conserve space because we had a finite amount of space in the book. So what are the kind of things that we could do to uh, to maximize that? And and there are a number of trilogies in the or duologies or, or cycles in the library of expanded universe books that really do function as a discrete unit. You know, um, there aren't books or stories that are meant to be read in midst of those those cycles. The Thrawn trilogy uh, is a continuous story told through three books. Uh, the Hand of Thrawn duology is a continuous story told through two books. The you know the Dark Tide series from uh, from New Jedi Order, for example, fits that bill. Uh, whereas the nine books that gets too big to too much happens through the course of nine books to, to put into a single entry. What it saved us by treating it as a single unit is it saved us a degree of word count because you wouldn't have to reestablish who the characters were and reestablish where they were and when they had just finished accomplishing uh, while talking forward about what happens next. It saved us the sort of publication information that we put in each entry that describes when the book came out, who's in it, what are the planets that are visited, that kind of stuff. So in that sense, it, it had a very practical purpose in that it did save us uh, several you know, hundred words, which in a book that is packed this densely, that could mean the difference of, of you know, illustration, that could mean the difference of giving a short story uh, an opportunity to be in the book or, or you know, being able to use those words more effectively elsewhere. So there, there was a degree of of sort of pragmatic space management, if you will, about uh, the content that was in the book. And you mentioned Darth Plagueis as one that you just weren't able to get really small. Was that the most difficult book or arc you had to summarize, or was there another one that you found challenging? Oh, t uh, yeah. Uh, Tim is Tim Zahn is great at telling stories that twist a lot, where you think you're going one way, then all of a sudden you, you go another way, and then you go another way again. And uh, both uh, Allegiance and Choices of One had elements of that in it, and that, that became hard to condense, uh, Choices of One especially, because uh, there's a lot of misdirection in there and, and uh, you know, purposeful misdirection. So you think the story is going one way, and it turns out that, you know, the characters were actually orchestrating a different set of events. And I didn't want to gloss over that too much. Some of it had to be condensed, and I think in that entry I just go ahead and say, you know, uh, <laughs> there, there's just not enough space to describe the – the entirety of the plotting that happens in this book, but this is a general overview of it. Um, X-Wing Mercy Kill was another one like that, where it felt like, it almost felt like Aaron was so eager to, to put his Wraith Squadron through so much that he made a very densely plotted book with, with a lot of twists and turns, and, and that can get difficult to summarize after a while. So as you were writing The Essential Reader's Companion, how did you view it being used by Star Wars fans? We purposely kind of imagined readers of varying uh, familiarity with the, with the expanded universe. And we know that it's challenging for a brand new reader, and I don't expect this to be the first book a brand new reader ever picks up. If they do, great, but we don't, you know, I honestly don't expect that to be. But what this, for the brand new reader, what this book hopefully answers is, where does the book that I'm currently reading or that I have read, where does it fit into the grand picture, and then what do I read next? And that also goes to the intermediary reader who uh, who's read like quite a bit, but has for whatever reason not picked up everything because they didn't think that they were particularly interested in a book, 
or they just didn't think, they didn't understand where to go next, or they've just fallen away from uh, Star Wars publishing for a while and want to get back into it and just want to get a handle of what it is they've missed and judge for themselves whether or not they want to go back and and read the, the, the material that's come out in their absence, so to speak. And then for the truly experienced reader, the reader who would be qualified to write a book such as this, you know, we realize that's probably the biggest challenge to satisfy those people. For, first of all, I saw this book as an opportunity to serve up summaries that would allow them to re-spark the memory of that book in their mind without them having to go directly to their library of Star Wars books and say, what was the book where this happened? Or what happened in this book again? What, what was that event? Now they have a handy single source to go to for that. But then we also made sure to plus out the book with you know brand new illustrations, behind the scenes information that they may not have known of, and some new information, not much, but some new. Uh, I worked with Jason Fry to, uh, in some cases, name planets that had never been named before because they, they went through the entire story without formally being addressed as a location. So there's a couple in there that fans of the uh, Essential Atlas will probably appreciate. Now, looking at this book, doing Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, I have a lot of Star Wars fans who've never really gotten into the EU come to me and ask, where do I start? What should I start off by reading? And having gone through and made this companion, what is your recommendation to those people? Well, to be honest, I think the correct answer to that is is a follow up question saying what are the kind of stories that are you that you are interested in? What are your favorite parts about Star Wars, or why is it that you want to read a Star Wars book? What are you hoping to get out of it? Because you know, the reality is the huge universe of expanded universe material. There's a lot of different types of story told in there. So if someone said, well, I want something about the Jedi, or I want something political, or I want you know, space combat, or I want a romance, that would tell me to go somewhere else or give you a different answer. Other than that, what I would be providing is, is like, well, well, these are my favorite books, so maybe try these out. You know, if, if you're a good friend of mine and you, I think you have similar tastes to me, then I would tell you to go start off with, you know, read Brian Daly's Han Solo trilogy or Tim Zahn's Thrawn trilogy or um, Yoda Dark Rendezvous by Sean Stewart or uh, uh, Luke Skywalker in the Shadows of Mindor by Matt Stover because those are my favorite works, you know, so I'd love to hear what you think of them and that hopefully starts the conversation. Like I said, the, the book itself may not be the best tool. I think it's a good tool, but it may not be the best tool to find out where should I start that. You should get a trusted opinion from a friend, but I think what the book will do really well is tell you where to go next after you've read that one book. And also, as you mentioned, this book is done in chronological order in the in-universe time. So it's not the Brian Daly novels come in this book before the Old Republic novels. It would be the opposite, even though they were released in that order. Right. And you mentioned in the foreword that careful consideration was given as to where certain works were placed and so on. Can you explain the process behind that decision-making? Yeah, I think one of the phrases that we use to describe the order is a soft chronological order as opposed to something that's super rigid. We know that there's a very strong interest in chronological orders. There's a reason why the timeline is printed on the inside of the Star Wars novels as it is, because a lot of people want to know, want to start at a certain point and feel like they're progressing forward in the timeline. So that was that kind of felt like a natural to present the book so that it mirrors the delineation of eras in the in the publishing program. But what I didn't want to do would be super rigid and do things like, well, this this book happens concurrently with this other book, so please read the first three chapters of this book and switch to the second book for these next few chapters and then jump back. I felt that was a little bit too artificial of an experience. So in some cases, especially with books that span a large era, I took a look at uh, what information is served up in that book, and then when would be the best place to start reading it in, in comparison to the other books. Uh, Darth Plagueis is a good example where that spans many years, and it starts off way before the events of Episode One, but it includes the events of Episode One, and then it ends right after that. So I thought it would be better to read that after Episode One so that readers are more properly introduced to the events of that film through other books and then are given this kind of uh, overview and, and, and additional information in uh, by reading Plagueis. Would you suggest that readers who are getting in pick the books they want chronologically and in-universe? Because that's kind of the inference I got from the ordering in the Reader's Companion, and I wasn't sure if that was the case. It's the suggestion. 
suggestion of the book, and I, and I think it's a solid way of, of presenting it. But if you were asking me personally, like, where should I start? And I would say, well, hold on. You're asking me personally where you want to start. And let me ask you this. Do you intend to read everything? Then I would read in chronological publication order just because I, I find – I mean, that's the order I read the books in because that's the order that they came out in. It's kind of – it's a very similar argument that people who are talking about what's the correct order of watching the films are, what is it that you want to experience. And my my inclination is for everyone to experience the way I experienced them as they came out. So um, because I thought that was important enough to put – or as an important alternative, that's why the appendix has the publication order. It has all the titles that are listed in chronological order in the main body of the books, and the appendix lists them in publication order as an alternative way of, of reading this material. Great. That kind of mirrors my own views of it, so I, I wasn't sure because I was going to get deeper in that, but I think we share a viewpoint on that, especially when it comes to the movies. So, <laughs> Now, we've talked to quite a few of the authors of Star Wars books on this show, and when we talked to them, especially the ones who wrote back in the 90s, they mentioned that when they first signed on to do a Star Wars book, that they were sent a giant package of materials that helps them catch up on what's come before in Star Wars fiction without having to go and read all the books. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that package? I am, yeah. Or at least a version of it. And I was wondering if, how this book would equate to that kind of package. I would say it's very similar. I mean, I could see this book serving the purpose that the packets that were sent to authors back in the 90s served. Uh, we There were several attempts to do Star Wars Bibles in-house, which largely did a lot of the, the work that the Essential Reader's Companion does. In fact, I, I referenced it when, when looking over some of the material from the 90s, and it was just that. It was summarizations of, or summaries of the novels, but also the comics as well. Uh, what's happened over the, you know, the decades of doing this is that it's become so large that one, you know, it becomes a challenge to present a Bible that is efficiently brings people up to speed, you know. Um, as we discovered in this book, it, it, we couldn't include the comics information just because it would make it almost like too big to be manageable. And I was impressed that you had a couple of books in this Reader's Companion that aren't even available to readers yet. You've got the next Old Republic book that's coming out in November and Timothy Zahn's Scoundrels coming out this Christmas. Were you able to read the final drafts of these books before including them in the Essential Reader's Companion? In those two specific cases, no. In those cases, I'm working off the last final outline um, that was submitted before the, the final draft was submitted. So hopefully it all lines up. We did do a conceit, though. We, we Although they have entries, they're not as full as entries for books that are already published. And now the reasoning for that was twofold. One was we didn't have the final draft. So uh, if we were if we attempted to be super detailed, there was the risk that the details ultimately would not line up compared to what came out at the end. And second, we didn't want to spoil those books, um, the events of those books, for those who are really looking forward to uh, experiencing those stories firsthand. One of the things that's getting a lot of buzz pre-release of this book is the immense amount of artwork that you have, because you have six incredibly talented Star Wars veteran artists contributing original pieces and first-time looks. Did you have a hand in which artists were working on the project? A little bit. I mean, I made... Uh, it uh, was, I think, both Eric and I having work with Chris Trevis in the past, and we definitely wanted him involved with it. Uh, I believe I had recommended Jeff Carlyle because I had done work with him in the past, both at Celebration and uh, at some Star Wars web comics that he used to do ages ago. And then it was Eric. Eric, I think, learned a lot of through the management of the many artists that he managed for the Essential Guide to Warfare. And so he, he brought many, uh, you know, the rest of the group together. Yeah, so that's how that team was formed. What about the choices of art in the book? Were those your choices? They were scenes you wanted to see illustrated, or were they suggested by Erich or the artists? Oh, it was a collaboration, really. Um, what had happened was, uh, as I had gone through each of the books, I'd made notes of potential scenes to illustrate, oh, these, this is a good thing to include. How about this scene here? And I submitted it as a whole to Erich as we went forward. But the main thing that he provided was kind of a, a larger view of what the entire book would be coming together. And that allowed him to kind of gauge whether or not certain types of scenes were being overrepresented or underrepresented and make changes and additions there. One of the things that happened is very early on, I had actually pitched to do a lot more of the portrait illustrations. I, I 
call them yearbook photos, to have each chapter begin with many, many more of those and ended up being final. But that's a case where not only space limitations, but also budget limitations, the, the budget that was allocated for new illustration simply didn't line up to the number of illustrations that I had you know, suggested. So uh, Eric went in there and was very specific to figure out, well, who are the people that we're gonna, we are going to include? And he, he looked at it through the lens of checking to see whether or not the characters that were identified as potential portraits may have already been covered elsewhere in the book. And if that was the case, then perhaps they don't need the portrait because they've, they've been established visually. Were there any characters in particular that you wanted to see represented in that type of yearbook photo versus the other ways? There was a lot of back and forth as to whether or not Abeloth would be included. And I think she was on my list as a potential yearbook photo. But uh, Erich suggested, and I ultimately agree with him at the end, that she's a character that is sort of like has more power in the mind's eye than she does if illustrated, uh, especially in some of her more surreal and, uh, you know, fantastic, horrific forms. Uh, what, a, what a reader can imagine would probably be much more powerful than constraining her to a single interpretation. And speaking of Abeloth, I had a, a minutia question, if I may. Sure. In your summary of Apocalypse, you tell us it was Darth Crate that helps Luke to defeat Abeloth, but he wasn't named in the book, to my memory. Is this the first acknowledgement of that fact? It may be. That, that's an example where, again, that was another 2012 book that came out and where I was working on maybe not the final draft, but a combination of whichever draft I had and the outline. So... Yeah, there there may be things like that, especially with the, the titles that came out later in the year where, you know, surprise, I went off the outline and this is what's established. Well, what, what I found interesting is going back and looking at similar works like Dan Wallace's Essential Chronology, the same thing happened in his entry for the Darkness Trilogy where he went with something that was in the outline and what ultimately ended up being in the finished books was, was slightly different. So it's like, ah, now I recognize how something like that could happen. Now, you also mentioned how for the experienced readers that you include some behind the scenes information and that was something I hadn't expected when hearing about this book ahead of time and really enjoyed it. I thought it added a lot of value to this book. Did you have to do any specific research and interviews to include this or is this stuff you knew and felt you wanted to share? A lot of it derives from conversation with the editors that were involved in the projects. And then some of it comes from actual archival material that we have here at Lucasfilm, correspondence between authors and editors and outlines and things like that. There is a, a, a library of this kind of material here, and, and a great deal of it was mined for the purposes of this book. Was there a behind-the-scenes fact that you discovered that was really shocking to you or unexpected? Oh, let me think about that. I was surprised that Mon Mothma was almost was slated to die in the Jedi Academy trilogy book uh, books. In uh, you know, she 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 gets infected with these with this wasting disease that is actually nanoviruses that were implanted in her by an Imperial. And yeah, she was going to die at the end of the, those books, uh, and that would have elevated Leia to chief of state. And now Leia becomes chief of state regardless. But Mon Mothma, you know, sticks around. And, you know, she recovers at the end, and so I was surprised to see that. <laughs> It might have helped explain away the, uh, Luke, why don't you take Lando out and find him a wife plot, though? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I think of Mon Mothma in that series, that's what comes to mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. Doesn't she have anything better to do than, than stick her nose in that particular business? <laughs> In the acknowledgments, you know, talking about the timeline and things, you mentioned Nathan P. Butler, who's a friend of ours and been a contributor to Star Wars Action News for years. Uh, did you consult his timeline gold for this project? Not specifically for this project, uh, although, I mean, I do check it from time to time because I really admire uh, the work that he puts into it. And, and as well, like a lot of the work that, that, that fan chronologists and fan encyclopedists do, I mean, it's all very impressive. But in those uh, acknowledgments, I kind of, as I said before, a lot of the work and, and sort of mental preparation for this project came from being a fan in the 90s. And there were a lot of resources that I checked in the 90s and early 2000s that I wanted to acknowledge because that kind of 
gave me a grounding in the way I wanted to approach some of these things. So, you know, folks like Mike Beadler, Joe Bongiorno, uh, James McFadden, and Nathan are, are thanked because they were the architects of some of the earliest and, and best fan resources, both back in the day and, and those that are still around. Now, you also pay tribute in your acknowledgments to the late Brian Daly, and you participated in a panel uh, tr- mm-hmm. tribute to him at Celebration, and he's one of my favorite Star Wars authors as well, with not only his prose fiction, but the radio dramas that he did. Was he your entry into Star Wars EU? Most definitely. It may not have been EU in its entirety, because I think I read the comics first, but his books serve many purposes for me as a kid in that, um, you know, we take it for granted now because you there, there's so much content around the release of a movie that even when the movie's out of the picture, there's all this ancillary content that you can still keep enjoying and consuming. But back in the early, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was the movie, and when you were done seeing the movie, you, without going to the movie theater, it was very hard to keep engaging with that experience. So, and there wasn't as much, there wasn't, there weren't, there wasn't as much media. So if you had a book, you would read that book and reread that book and reread that book. And and in my case, it was Han Solo at Star's End. might have been the first non-children's book that I had read. I was reading it as a very young kid, and it was not intended for, you know, a, it was not a young reader book. So even though I may not have understand all the nuances and all the details, it was my interest in Star Wars that kept me wanting to read it and reread it. And as a result, I, I just became more interested in the written word and some of the things that he described. And, and you know, it built my vocabulary and all the all the good stuff that's supposed to come out of reading books came out of rereading that one book. And I, to this day, I know that I learned the word recalcitrant from the Star Wars novels. You know, I, I, I learned such words as patina and uh, uh, capriciousness. Like I could, I could, I could open those books and tell you where those words appeared because as a kid I would like look at that word and want to know what it meant and learn what it meant and all of a sudden I'm the only kid in in second or third grade who knows what a patina is or what capriciousness is you know that's Alan Dean Foster putting the Kindle word lookup feature to its best use (laughs) definitely Well, Pablo, thank you very much. I have to ask, are you continuing to keep notes to update this book for a future second edition? You know, I haven't so I haven't read any new books since it has come out, but I suspect that the second a new novel comes out for me to read, I, it's an old habit. Even without a project in the works, it's just something I tend to do is just keep notes so I remember what happened in that book, and I can more readily reference the events uh, with a handy you know, go-to document kind of thing. And can you share with us anything you're currently working on for Star Wars, any new fiction or nonfiction projects? Uh, as far as these freelance projects, just so you know, like when I do books such as these, they are not part of my day-to-day job. So uh, as far as freelance projects, I'm kind of taking a break for a moment. Um, I don't intend to start anything out probably for the rest of the year, but the day-to-day work definitely does keep me busy, and uh, I encourage people to check out um, the official blog at StarWars.com, where I'll keep people posted not only about this book, but any other future activity that I may be doing. Um, I'm definitely involved with Star Wars Insider, so that gives me an opportunity to, to get stuff out there as well. So that, that's kind of what's uh, – there's definitely a lot going on, especially with Clone Wars season starting up again. And, and um, uh, you know, we're, we'll definitely keep busy. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and spending some time talking about us. It's been a great pleasure, and this book is absolutely phenomenal. It blew me away because as one of the people who's read mostly every book out there and a lot of the comics, I saw this and I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting, but I know it. And then when I got my hands on this book, I just have been enthralled with it and all the detail and all the questions that are answered. And again, you know, Star Wars fans love to discuss that continuity. So seeing some order to it and some clarification, it's just an absolute wonderful book for readers of all experiences with Star Wars. So thank you for all the work you've put into it. Well, thank you very much. Thanks again to Pablo Hidalgo. Now, he said he wanted yearbook shots for these characters, and I would personally love that. I know when I was enhancing years ago, I know, Star Wars Action News book club things, I would always look for that kind of yearbook shot of EU characters so that on the Enhanced Podcast people could see visual representations of the characters. But while we didn't get that in this book, tons of great art, love the art, I almost want to buy a second copy so I can scan certain pages and just tear them out and use them as desktop wallpapers. But 
I found something this week at Walmart that suits this need perfectly. There's a new line of trading cards from Topps called the Star Wars Galactic Files. And I'm hit or miss on trading cards. By and large, I'm more than happy and wait and just buy the base sets for three for $25 at Wizard World every year and go and just pick those up. I'm not really worried about the more chase cards, what they call the extended master sets, let alone the real chase cards like Harrison Ford's signature and sketch cards and things. But these cards really are so awesome. All of them are foil embossed so that they have the Star Wars-like frame around them, and they're all yearbook shots of characters, and they have original trilogy, prequels, Clone Wars, and EU, calling a lot of art from a lot of sources. I know I saw some Chris Trevis art in there as Darth Crate in the same cards that I had Luke and Asajj Ventress. Just a really, really great set of cards. If you see these, they're at Target and Walmart right now, plus your local comic store. I went ahead and I just went to eBay and picked up a Hobby Shop case of these because these are some great cards, and I very rarely get excited about cards. We'll be doing a deeper dive into these cards on a later show, but there's 360 character cards, and just about all of them are yearbook. Hmm, that's kind of nice. Now, next up, while we were at Star Wars Celebration 6 and the Vinylmations were being released and they were sold at Celebration, there was an event at Disney World that we didn't go to because we were busy at the con. Across the coast of Disneyland, they had the same premiere event for Vinylmation. And while Star Wars Action News staff was pretty concentrated in Orlando, Carmella went to Disneyland to pick up a set of those figures and brave the lines and the crowds and get the autograph. And here's Barrett and Carmilla reviewing those figures. Hey, everybody. It's Barrett, Master Collectum All from the Forums, your Star Wars Action News Holocron Enhancer. And I'm here with a very special guest today, Darth Mello from the Forums, my significant other slash photographer when I go out on our galactic hunting. And Darth Mello actually attended the Star Wars Vitalmation Series 2 release party they held at Disneyland, where she got to meet Mr. Casey Jones, who is the senior character artist for the Disney Design Group, who made his big start at Marvel Comics, and now he's doing big things at Disney. And it just so happens that the release party was going on at the same time that Celebration 6 was happening. They actually had a release party in Florida, but by doing double duty of my own as a tourist and working in the collecting track, I wasn't able to get to that one. But you were able to get to the one out here in the West Coast. I had a lot of fun. There was a ton of fans, more people than I ever expected to be there. Hundreds of people stood out in line all day in the hot sun. And, you know, it was like like brothers and sisters out there. Everybody loved each other. Everybody loves the Star Wars figures. And I personally like the Series 2 better than the Series 1. I mean, I like it, but the Series 2 is a lot better. Casey Jones was very nice. He was nice enough to talk with me a little bit and autograph some figures for me. Yes, and let's talk about a couple of these figures, because last year in Series 1, they had a couple of hard-to-get figures. They had a Chaser, which was the Obi-Wan Kenobi figure, and then they had a Super Chaser which was made out of this light blue translucent vinyl, and it was the Obi-Wan Kenobi figure, but it was the ghost Obi-Wan Kenobi. We were able to give out to a lucky winner as a contest last year. The chaser for this series is from episode four. This is an episode four series, Grindin. But he's the character who actually snitched out Obi-Wan, Luke, Han Solo, and our favorite Wookiee Chewbacca when they were trying to leave the cantina spaceport and he told the stormtroopers where they were he does have that protuberance coming off his face which is different from series one because we're looking at series one and series one is just basically a standard buck with repaints and this actually has an extra sculpted piece on it yeah quite a few of them do have extra sculpted pieces like the princess leia uh, she has her buns. Oh, look at those buns. Don't you love those I buns? I love the buns. She's so cute. Yeah, because, well, the Princess Leia in Series 1, I take it back, she had a little sculpted braid piece that was on her head. But these buns, I think, top that braid piece. And then the ears. It's the ears that make it, that they look like a background. So I could almost forget that there are Mickey Mouse ears on her and just see the Princess Leia. Yeah, you know, you're right that they used the ears this time instead of having it just not have any 
you know, just having it like a flat color, kind of like the Stormtrooper in Series 1, they actually put, like, a background into it. And as you can see, Luke, the Tusken Raider, who comes with a really cool gaffy staff, by the way, all have the Tatooine sons, the two Tatooine sons, mm -hmm. because they're from Tatooine. And then you look at Tarkin, and he kind of looks like he has a Death Star in one ear and stars in the other. And then we look at Vader, and by the way, this Vader also has an extra sculpt for his helmet there, where he really kind of looks like a samurai now, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's more like his, his helmet, as opposed to just a round head. And this is a big, I think, upgrade from the Vader from Series 1, which kind of looks like the Gimp from Pulp Fiction. Definitely. He just looks like a little man in a leather suit holding a red billy club. <laughs> <laughs> but this Vader looks more like the classic Vader with the shape of the helmet. And then you have Greedo. He still has the Mickey Mouse ears, but it just has little Greedo ears painted in there. Yeah, it's, I, I can almost forget that the Mickey Mouse ears are even there. Yeah, it gives that kind of illusion because of the black ears. Mm -hmm. It's almost like how, you know, those guys used to come to your school who had the puppets and they would dress in black and do the puppets and they talk about stranger danger. <laughs> but you'd kind of forget about the puppeteers in the back because they weren't black. Right. So, yeah, it's a pretty good series, I think. You know, I think it's a really upgrade. I mean, series one was fantastic, but I think they really outdid themselves and they tried to really make it Series 2 stand on its own merit. Definitely. So, now that we have a full autograph set of the Star Wars Vinylmation Series 2 figures, and not only that, but the box itself is autographed, when you told Mr. Jones that we were going to give a full set away, he autographed a full set for you. As well as the box. Too. As well as the box. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Because we were just trying to get the chaser, if we could find the chaser. But a one lucky listener is going to win a full autograph set. And not only that, we're going to throw in the Star Wars Celebration 6 exclusive oh. hologram Leia. Wow. So you will get a full set of the 2012 Vinylmation figures. How about that? Well, I guess they did release some other ones, but this is the... Official full set, I guess. Now, the hologram Leia, can you only find that in Florida? The hologram Leia, the only ones you can find them in Florida at Celebration 6 at the time they were selling. Wow. And find them on eBay just like these in exorbitant prices, but you're going to get them here for free. That's right. As a contest winner. So now, how are they going to enter the contest? I am going to start a forum thread in the Star Wars Action News forums, and it's going to be labeled Star Wars Vinylmation Series 2 Contest. And... They're going to enter a little different way this time, a little more creative. Our sister podcast, Marvelicious Toys, was giving away a New York Comic Con Hulk figure, and Arnie came up with a great idea. How you enter the contest is write a haiku. And they had some really good haikus about Hulk over there. I think that's a great idea. So we're going to have you write a haiku. And a haiku, for those of you unfamiliar with the concept, it is a poem that has five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, and five syllables in the third line. And what's the haiku going to be about? Can we make it Star Wars, Disney, Disney, Star Wars? Good, good. Okay, so when we do it like that, you can have a haiku, make a haiku either about Star Wars, Disney, or Disney Star Wars. So write your haiku. You can write as many haikus as you like, but you will only be entered in the contest one time, one entry per person, but you can write as many haikus as you like. And... What we'll do is, from all the entries in the contest, we'll pick a name at random. And that name will be read out on a future episode of Star Wars Action News. So you'll have to stay tuned to a future episode to see if you won. And I don't think that's a bad deal at all. What do you think about that? I think it's pretty sweet. I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> Are you jealous? Because this is probably... Because, you know, didn't they have a limit on how many autographed figures you could get? They had a limit to... Figures a piece autographed. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would really like to keep this set, but I'm going to be happy for whoever gets them. Oh, we spread the love here at Star Wars Action News. <laughs> it's all about the listeners. So what you're trying to say is that this is probably the only set on Earth that has a fully autographed set and the box of figures from Casey Jones. I'm thinking that it is, yeah. You could only get two a piece, 
And the only way to get them all signed is to do some some heavy duty searching. Yeah, or, running to Casey Jones at Chili's and asking to sign. Yeah, or, the or, other six or that just you start get. collecting one at a time with autographs if you, if that's even possible. Right? I don't know if it's possible because I was going on eBay and I seen a lot of them that were up there, but not a lot of them that were signed. Mm-hmm. So somebody's going to be lucky. So good luck out there and if you see some tears on the box it's from darth mellow <laughs> and it's proof that sith lords can cry it's not only just darth vader crying in his hyperbation chamber and good luck it's not just tears of sadness it's tears of pain you're gonna see darth mellow yelling out no <laughs> once i put that postage <laughs> on there so Good luck again, and thank you, Darth Mello, for doing that. And I'm sure a le- a, a listener will really appreciate that. You're, you're welcome. I had a great time, so a- anytime. All right, so back to you, Marjorie and Arnie. Thank you for that coverage, and yes, you can win all those Vinylmations by heading to our forums and posting in that thread. This is going to start today, and you have two weeks to enter, so until... October 15th, you can post in that thread, and then you have to listen to the October 22nd show to find out if you won. It's a great set of prizes. I haven't even heard of anybody Disney on down giving away a set like this. No, it's just tremendous, and those are so hard to come by. They kind of laugh at you if you go in the Disney store and ask for them. Because we have. Mm Mm-hmm. So head to our forums. There's a link at SWActionNews.com and enter today. That's our show for this week. And yes, we will be at Barnes & Noble for Star Wars Reads Day this Saturday. And we will have a podcast a week from today covering that event. We'll see you next week in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't you know? Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News book club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Hey, Marjorie. Hmm. What did Admiral Ackbar say after a trip to the Bunny Ranch? What? It's the clap! Slightly funny. (laughs) I just made that up. Oh.